Blog Talk Radio. Women Need the Goddess, um, I'm going to have a show on uh, wokeness, 
that seems to be the the word that's uh, popping up everywhere and uh, the word that's being demonized uh, when it's really a good thing and, uh, you know, means, means about uh, what's good for the most people. So anyway, uh, yeah, you'll get more here than just uh, the interview when you stay tuned in and uh, we have a conversation afterwards uh, because, uh, you know, I want to keep engaging your mind and your heart uh, here on the show where I think of it as a place where social justice, activism, spiritual um, and personal transformation actually meet. Uh, and please know I appreciate your listener loyalty. I know there are, are an awful lot of podcasts out there. Didn't used to be this way. When I first started, uh, we weren't even called podcasts. We were just called Internet Radio. Uh, so if you choose uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine over another podcast, uh, know in your heart that um, you know, it means an awful lot to me. So, uh, just as a reminder, before we get into deep, uh, VSF uh, is streaming live at 11 o'clock every Wednesday, Pacific Time, uh, and uh, you can find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and Apple. And I'd like to hear from you if you have any show ideas, guest ideas, interview ideas, um, if you run, want to run commercials about your work, uh, if there's anything you believe would make this show better, don't hesitate to contact me through my website at karentate.net. And uh, just a shout out to Pat, my roving reporter, for sending in great articles that I share with you. And also the music that we open the show with is by a wonderful artist out of uh, Nevada called Zingaya. And um, that cut was called Nomad's Land. And there's something about whenever I hear it, I feel like I'm sitting on the back of a camel, kind of loping across the sand dunes. Um, anyway, uh, you'll hear it again, you know, for the next few weeks because I change... Uh, change artists every month, and uh, so you'll get a chance to see if you agree with me. You know, it, it just kind of throws you into that groove of that uh, loping, you know, uh, gait of the camel. Anyway, I digress, I digress. Um, so anyway, if you're new to the show, because we do have an awful lot of new listeners, I'm Karen Taste, and my guests and I discuss sex power, gender, religion, politics, uh, with a broad spectrum of visionaries and forward thinkers. And uh, I invite both women and men on the show. And I think we talk about things from more of a right brain point of view, uh, certainly not the patriarchal um, point of view. You know, this is not about keeping the status quo in place. This is about creating a new normal and thinking about uh, new ideas that can uh, improve our lives and the lives of uh, everyone out there. And I think uh, what we talk about here fit comfortably under the goddess umbrella. Uh, but, you know, sometimes there are things that mom told you to never talk about at the dinner table. Uh, I know growing up in the South, um, you know, we didn't talk about sex or religion or politics or uh, anything like that. Uh, I hate to say it, especially if you were a woman. That was the kind of stuff you left to the men. And I know that might sound dated to some people, but uh, I have to tell you that is still the reality for uh, way too many out there. So... Um, 
I, you know, this is kind of a segue to my guest, uh, who will be talking to and uh, what we're going to be talking about today. And as I said earlier, uh, my guest is Julia Paulette Hollenberry. Uh, she is a joy, happiness, and relationship expert um, that uh, leads her to writing books like The Healing Power of Pleasure, Seven Medicines for Rediscovering the Innate Joy of Being. Uh, that's our topic today. Uh, she's a therapist, a body worker, and facilitator. She'll tell us about her childhood, which sparked this transformational journey and the uh, discipline she uses in her therapeutic work with clients. Uh, and she believes, and I'm sure they will attest, that um, her, um, her practices help them attain joy, happiness, and good relationships. So we're going to delve into the universe of deliciousness. Uh, also, uh, the mess of uh, my, um, modernity and uh, magicalness. Yeah. And, of course, uh, we'll learn what the seven medicines that uh, are that help us discover joy. And like I said, please stick with me after our interview because uh, we're going to be talking about part two of four of Carol Chris's essay, Why Women Need the Goddess. So, Julia, welcome, welcome, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, I, I just love uh, the universe of deliciousness. Um, I, 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 I do want to start at the beginning, uh, you know, and, and what motivated all of this. Um, so I apologize if this is jumping in at the middle, but that just has me intrigued. What is the universe of deliciousness? <laughs> Uh, the universe of deliciousness is a subtle, sensual, sensitive, spiritual realm that has been known by mystics, right, history and geography, and is available for all of us all of the time. It's that deliciousness that we might feel at any time, in any activity, in any moment, in any non-activity. It's the deliciousness that we enjoy in our bodies. Hmm. So you call it the universe of deliciousness. Might we recognize it by another name? If you said the mystics know about it, have they called it something else? Well, there's a lot of uh, uh, people write a lot about bliss. And my direct experience is of the flesh melting, I'm sure you have your own experiences of the flesh kind of melting and this subtle deliciousness breaking open. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, funny you, you say, when you said the word melt, I instantly got it. I was just telling friends on a Zoom call last night, we were doing a book group talking about Rhianne Eisler's Chalice on the Blade, and we did a check-in and... Um, I was talking about my new kitten, and we've been socializing this feral kitten, and um, night before last, she actually came and crawled into my lap and looked up at me with her beautiful, sweet, blue eyes like she just adored me, and I melted. <laughs> it, was a, it was a delicious moment of bliss. Right, so they're every day and any time possible. And for me is also, and not only for me, obviously, is anywhere in the body possible. So right now while we're talking, I can literally feel the deliciousness on my tongue. 
and in my arms and my legs and my back. Okay, okay. Well, I was thinking more orgasm, but okay, I guess you can feel it in your extremities too. So this is the universe of deliciousness, this possibility of accessing this. I'm rubbing my fingertips together this end. This delightfulness. And most of the time we're busy being busy and we don't notice. And it's right here waiting for us. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, you know, oftentimes I'll, I'll ask my husband to scratch my back and I know it's just a simple little thing, but wow, that feels delicious. So, uh, so yeah, I get it on the individual body parts, I guess, you know. Um, yeah. So, um, all right, so Julia, um, you must have an interesting childhood story uh, past that uh, led you here. Uh, tell us how this began for you. Well, I wasn't a very happy child. I felt quite alone and isolated. And I heard the adults at home and at school talking. And they all, to me, sounded so disconnected. I used to love spending time in the garden. I used to adore being outdoors. And um, outside... I had this experience of really being in contact with everything, this kind of deep sensuality, this deep deliciousness. And so I guess from there was always my sense that I wanted to help to wake people up to the more that is possible. I felt there was much more in relating than what I saw and felt and experienced happening around me. And, of course, in those days, I didn't quite know how to make it happen. Yeah. Well, and you're reminding me, I mean, you know, you can actually find articles now where uh, psychologists, um, you know, or psychiatrists, I'm not sure which, uh, but researchers who study this sort of thing say that uh, being out in nature is a is a healing modality. Um, do you think it's um, because we're maybe surrounded in beauty, um, you know, maybe we open ourselves to the magnificence of the creativity of the universe, uh, or, you know, is it an energetic? Uh, you know, some people talk about, you know, digging their hands or toes into the black mud uh, or the cool green grass. I mean, what do you think triggers that bliss or deliciousness when we're out in nature? Well, all of the things you've just said, in a way, we're supposed to live like that. That is the natural way of being. And living in houses and spending all day staring at computers and so on, shopping in supermarkets, is the unnatural way to be. So I think that the sense of connectedness and blissfulness is is actually our birthright. We're supposed to be able to enjoy all of that. 
So it's all it's yeah. all of those things. There is the groundedness of being in contact literally with the earth and with the trees. There's the visuals of the light and the patterns and the colours. You know, there's so much going on. We know about microbes and micro-communication. Uh, there's the light and there is the multitude of relationships that are available to us outdoors that when we're indoors we forget about well I'm going to throw an idea out there at you and I wonder what you think about it Um, you know if you're one of these people who think that we're all interconnected and you know we're just a microcosm of the macrocosm maybe when we're out there in nature we get that sense of being in that cosmic blanket or tapestry you know where we feel like we're a thread of the tapestry as opposed to maybe when we're inside and cut off um, you know we lose that sense of um, belonging attachment which uh, I think does help our mental health when we feel um, uh, you know like that we're part of a whole for sure. I mean, we are a part of nature. We're not separate from it. And when we go outside, all of the elements and all of the beings are in this magnificent interrelationship. And when we step outdoors, we enter physically that realm. And of course, when we're indoors, it is the same. It's just that it's harder for us to realize in a way the aliveness of the sofa and the walls and the carpet and the table right 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 um so uh, all right so you said as a child you know you felt like the adults around you were all disconnected but you felt the connection you know when you went out and into nature into the garden so um did this idea um stick with you that uh, now you're doing what you're doing I mean was it like that was it there on your shoulder the the entire time growing up kind of in a way yes Um, not on my shoulder but deep inside I guess um, as this small unhappy child I also knew that one day I would write a book and that seemed like something that was so far away and yet I always had this knowing inside and I always had this sense of wanting to share this message about the connectivity that's possible, the sensuality that's possible, the deliciousness that's possible and the shame, the waste, the rest of the time. So it's always been this deep often without words, inner drive, inner impulse, inner desire in me. And as I speak to you right now, I can feel it radiating from my heart as my shoulders widen and my chest opens. Um, And one of the things that I write in the book is this book is written from what my heart knows and wants to share. So I guess I have a kind of sense that perhaps I came into this life with a and knowing of these areas, uh, I don't know, but it really comes from within. So I'm going to take it, I think, maybe a little bit bigger picture even. 
Um, you know, we know a lot of people who live in the cities who maybe don't ever get the opportunity to go out into nature and experience that, you know, so to speak. Although I would imagine, you know, if, if you at least have a backyard, you know, or you have a park down the street, um, you could you could get glimmers or or a glimpse of it. But I get, I'm I'm just thinking out loud here and um if this idea, this um universe of deliciousness we have at our disposal if this was something that we were taught um like uh, you know from from the, our earliest of days like you know we're taught to brush our teeth or say thank you um right. i'm wondering what difference that would make in the world you know um, if it. there would be a, a, you know if it would make a lot more happier people and, you know, we wouldn't have so much um, hate all over, you know, uh, pitting, you know, one person against another. Because if we knew how to access bliss, um, you know, it, it, uh, that, that would sort of counter uh, maybe people who are telling us to hate our neighbor. Sure. I mean, so much of our lives is about the stories that we are told and tell ourselves. And so many of the stories most of us grow up with are negative and diminishing stories. And there is enough to go round. There is enough love. There is enough space. There is enough light. There is enough of everything, actually, to go round. And we, um, of course, live in this late-stage capitalism where everything is about the individual and competition and um, the need to fight in order to get enough. And the universe of deliciousness is about relaxing into there already being enough. Yeah. Well, and and let me sort of take a different little uh, parallel track on this. I mentioned earlier. I'm enjoying um, I'm, <laughs> um, You know, we I'm doing this book group with uh, you know with some women about Rianne Eisler's life changing book, The Chalice and the Blade, and it's an old book, but I hadn't read it since the 90s, and I forgot how good it was as I dip back into it and you know part of what she talks about is um uh you know patriarchy and dominator culture and there's this connection between denying the goddess and um domination and oppression of women and the big thing patriarchy does to oppress women is to deny them their sexuality you know, and of course their rights, but a big thing, patriarchy hates women's sexuality, it seems. You know, they are scared to death of it, and, uh, you know, if a woman, woman uh, enjoys her sexuality, well, you know, she's demonized, marginalized, she's a whore, all of this sort of stuff. And let's not even talk about it's okay for a man to have pleasure. That's a whole different story. But I'm, you know, I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I'm thinking about how patriarchy denies women the, the right to the pleasure of their body, you know. 
And um, I, I feel like this fits into the conversation as well. And, you know, so instead patriarchy tells us to have shame uh, around the pleasures of the body. And what a disservice that is because, you know, as these social scientists talk, they say, you know, denying the goddess is denying pleasure, creativity, um, you know, uh, women's autonomy, agency, and a lot of times that leads to war. It leads to domination. And, you know, we were just saying if, you know, we're full of bliss, maybe we're less likely to want to hate our neighbor. Um, so it's almost as if it's a recipe for disaster in a way, you know, this sort of patriarchal oppression um, but you're making me think about it differently, in a sense, you know, from the from the aspect of they're not just taking away Roe v. Wade, they're taking away pleasure that we could use to counter uh, the unhappiness, the depression, the um, the hate that sort of um, permeates some aspects of culture. I don't know. Am I am I going too far out on a limb here? No, I love it. I, I I really feel that you've got it. And um, pleasure is available to all of us as a choice and as a resource and as a nourishment instead of these stories of um, doom and gloom and suffering and competition. So the goddess, as I understand it, the ancient cultures were all about inclusivity was all about the earth and the flesh and the material and the reverence for what the feminine brings which includes the awesome power not only of pleasure but also of the creation of life and it seems that the patriarchy is denying many things not only women not only pleasure but also spirituality and, um, in a way, the sacredness of the material. Yeah. So, well, um, and, 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 well, and it's not just women, you know. I mean, uh, if, if, you know, if this is denied women to a certain extent, it's also denied men. Uh, and I think maybe that's why ancient people used to think it was through union or sex with, um, you know, that they could attain their connection to uh, the divine source. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess here, but I am thinking that when they were in this sexual union uh, and they were thinking they were achieving this divine source, they were feeling bliss. They were, they, you know, it was this orgasmic high and um, and you think about the people that are being denied that because of religion, you know. Um, and, and then they go ahead. We're all well. We're all the poorer for um, the attitudes of the patriarchy. We all suffer, whoever and wherever we are, because it appears to offer us less options. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It uh, it den it denies our natural nature, you know, and oftentimes our our natural nature is um, is a good thing. It doesn't 
you know, it doesn't have to, you know, our, our natural nature doesn't have to be about, um, uh, you know, being a predator or being a dominator. You know, I don't think being a predator or a dominator is actually our natural nature. You know, prehistory tells us that, you know, there were peaceful equalitarian societies that, you know, revered life and the sacredness of everything. Um, and, it, you know, and I think if more people knew that, knew that there was an, another option and they look to things like bliss and gratitude, this universe of deliciousness, if they could somehow fill themselves with that, um, it, it, and that's your whole point, right, in your right. therapy, um, you know, if, if people fill themselves with that, well, then suddenly they can tune out all the negative programming and maybe making such bad choices in their life. I, I love that you get it, absolutely. If we um, look back, many cultures, many different cultures, have got love-making stories in them as to how the universe came into creation. It's um, foundational as to who we all mm-hmm. are as humans and a part of what the patriarchy does now in our modern world is to distort sexuality. So it's not uh, the images that we all see. I mean, our world is highly sexualized, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy for us to relax into a natural flow of deliciousness, of pleasure. The images that we see are distorted, as you said, about drama and domination and and these ideas are considered to be sexy but at least in my experience and not only mine they're not the essence not the delightfulness of the real yeah embodied sensuality the really spiritually connected you know the relaxation yeah i get that there's yeah yeah, there's, there's, uh, it's tainted, uh, you know, and I, and I don't quite, I, the language isn't coming to me, but, and I'm not just talking about pornography, you know, or, um, you know, violence or sadomasochism and things like that. There's, there's, you know, the sexualization of little girls, you know, and all of this stuff. It's like, um, uh, it, 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 it's just sort of gone down um, a different path. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm going it's to take a break, Julia. Sure. I Go was ahead. just going to say it's disconnected. It's sex and sensation without soul, without the human connection. All the advertising and marketing also employs that attitude, and it doesn't serve us truly best. Yes. Well said. Well said. I like how you language that. Okay. Um, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, um, I want you to talk more about, um, you know, the mess of uh, uh, modernity and uh, magicalness and the seven medicines uh, that, uh, you know, give us this healing power of pleasure. Sound okay? Great. All right. So we are going to hear from Joe Carson for just a moment here. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, 
a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years, only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And please don't forget about the Divine Feminine app. Uh, Women have been finding the Divine Feminine app each and every day since uh, 2016. And it's a great resource to find local sacred circles, events, and resources. Uh, It also has a new feature now where newly added and local events are sent out every Tuesday. You can go to the Divine Feminine app and register. It's quick. It's easy. It doesn't cost anything. And you can find circles in your area, and uh, you can put them on this email list. Now, as a benefit to our listeners, if you click Upgrade Membership and scroll down uh, to use the code Sacred Feminine, you'll get a 90-day access to entering your own featured events uh, that will be sent to local users in your area. But um, uh, you have to know, too, it's not just local events. Uh, There's all sorts of great uh, virtual events that um, you'll find out about that you can tune into um, or learn about. And uh, there's retreats, profiles, and podcasts like ours. So check out uh, the Divine Feminine app and, um, you know, see what's going on in your neighborhood that you might not have known about. So uh, we are talking with uh, Julia Paulette Hollenberry, and um, uh, we're discussing her book, uh, The Healing Power of Pleasure, Seven Medicines for Rediscovering the Innate Joy of Being. So Julia, we were going to come back and talk about the mess of, uh, I never can get this word out, uh, um, say it for me. (laughs) Modern. Uh, well, uh, modern, mo- modern, in, uh, mo- modern energy, and <laughs> um, uh, and and magicalness. Uh, so, tell us about the mess and the magicalness. Well, I think it's uh, delightful that you can't pronounce this word, and it's funny because modernity is overwhelmingly complex and complicated and not easy and um, it's hard it's really hard so what we are presented with as normal life is really very challenging 
actually. Uh, it's chaotic. And um, we're all permanently living in a state of overwhelm. And this is not easy for us. I talk about, uh, in my book, these different um, states of feeling unseen, of the stress of the workplace, of the masculinization of life. We were talking about the patriarchy, where it's um, kind of assumed in modern life that uh, everything operates the way that a man operates. And of course, the way the female way is different. The inhumanity of technology and what all of the exposure to radiation and devices is doing to us. The inauthenticity of everyone constantly trying to sell to everybody else all of the time. The loneliness and the disconnect. Many people living in modern cities are not even talking to their neighbours and the psychological fragmentation of ourselves. So, modernity is messy on an individual level, on a collective level, and on a global level. So, what do we do? How do we best cope? Find the magic of bliss. <laughs> right. So actually, as you know, as probably many of the listeners know, life is indeed really magical. If we can find our way to the magic, we often have little glimpses here and there of the magic hinting to us or of synchronicity. So we are all within that magicalness. It's poetic. It's beautiful. It's charming. And if we look at the world, we can see that um, that beauty, that magic is trying to poke through. If we look at physics or astronomy or neurology or anything in great detail, we can see that what we thought was simple is actually highly complex, highly orchestrated and beautifully magical. Hmm. There is, we live within this invisible world. The invisible world is is behind everything, and that's where the magic comes from. We might call it divine or God or source, but it operates around us and through us in these magical ways. Well, you know, you're making me think about um, harmonies and sound. Uh, I'm not sure why my brain went there, but um, it's kind of a thing I think we take for granted and um you know but uh but maybe we shouldn't you know like the harmonies of the universe uh you know that keep things flowing that you know can affect our um you know our mood 
and, and things like that. I wonder if by chance, is that one of the seven medicines of yours, uh, sound healing? The seven medicines are slow body depth, relationship, pleasure, power, and potency. It's the deliciousness pathway, the way into the magicalness and blissfulness of the universe of deliciousness. So did, uh, uh, wait, I might have missed it there. Did you just say the seven? Because they were too quick. I shall say <laughs> okay. slowly. Yes, yes, back, back up, back up. <laughs> I'm smiling broadly. So the seven medicines are slow, body, depth, relationship, pleasure, power, and potency. They're the deliciousness pathway. They're the way to access the magicalness and the blissfulness of the universe of deliciousness. The way, Mm. if you like, the spiritual and the invisible and the sensual and the fabulous. Oh, Julia, you need to make a poster with those seven words on it, um, you know, against a beautiful background. Um, I I mean, I think it it makes so much sense, and um, it would benefit us to think about that every day. You know, have it on the mirror when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you know? Great idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. And I like the, I like slow. You know, I like slow because um, uh, if we don't start to go slow, we miss all the rest, kind of, I think. Totally. And we live in this hectic, nonstop, very fast, super distracted world. And all of us can benefit of course, from slowing down out of our thoughts and into the present Awesome. Moment. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Um, so what would you say, I, I mean, I think you just, uh, you know, gave us the guide to, to happiness for, you know, for heaven's sake. I mean, what more could you, uh, what, what more could you offer? Uh, but were there any other Uh, big ideas in the book that maybe we didn't uh, have a chance to chat about that you think you want to leave listeners with? I can tell you more about each of the seven medicines if you would like. The book is full of inspirations and there are also over 50 practical exercises, practices. So each of the seven medicines has about seven practices that one can do to make the shift into Mm. a more happier life, a more sensual, happier and conscious life. Um, I guess the big idea is that this, really is a way of living that benefits not just oneself, but actually all of us, the earth um, and our families and communities, that being disconnected may appear to be efficient, but it's really not much fun and doesn't really contribute to a, a, a good, productive 
healthy, happy society. I love the way you phrased that before when you said that the deliciousness pathway of the seven medicines is a way to happiness for heaven's sake. Beautiful. So yes, <laughs> this is about embodied spirituality. This is about um, getting out of our own way, changing um, habits, learning to sense the body, opening up to wonder and awe, um, seeing the freshness of other people and other beings, um, melting into the deliciousness of the body, finding the real power of vulnerability and yeah, getting out of our own way so that the magic can happen through us. And and and, Do you and think it, one... uh, I, I I have a, a number of what I call integrative technologies in potency that are, are really about coming into the central neutral. And they're all simple. So. So let me let me ask you, would one of the first things we should start to do would be to uh, listen to the news less and get off our phones? For sure. I would remove the word should. Too many shoulds in, in life. Um, and each person's way is different. But I think that um, unplugging from the constant radiation, unplugging from the constant uh, need for updates um, allows our system to begin to relax. So yes, that might take the form of listening less to news. It could also be scrolling less on social media or um, needing less the latest fashions or um, just taking a moment to pause amidst the everyday frenzy. Hmm. And it's really a shift in perspective too, isn't it? You know, it's um, uh, to know that all of this is available to us uh, if we just realize the importance of it. And, um, uh, you know, medicine, you know, I don't know, sometimes that, but, uh, has a negative connotation, you know, but it's it's almost as if, you know, the medicine is available to us, you know. Um, it, it, it just means changing some of our familiar habits. And, um, you know, I'm saying it just, just like it's easy. Um, but, you know, it, it's not like it's unattainable. It's not like... Uh, we need a lot of money or something to get it, or it's some secret. Uh, it's right there. You know, we we just have to stop <laughs> and slow down. Exactly. I might read you a little bit from the beginning, if you've got like, if you would like, or if there's time. And I um, I, I say that this is freely available to everyone. You know, none of this costs money. It's a matter of making those small, tiny little shifts that together take us somewhere different in our experience. 
Well, Julia, we are starting to run a little short on time, so I'm going to have <laughs> to ask you to not go there. But is there That's a real fine. quick a real quick success story with one of your patients that uh, turned things around? There's loads of them. Um, but the person who comes to mind uh, moved from really feeling very lonely um, to being in a wonderful relationship and being very creative in both visual art and in music, finding her flow, finding her happiness, finding her pleasure. Well, and it and isn't really uh, that what we all want. And uh, I can't help but think uh, that uh, the evil people out there, if they actually found pleasure, they wouldn't be spreading so much evil. <laughs> and maybe they wouldn't feel like they have to fill that hole inside of them with money uh, that, you know, doesn't fill it anyway. And we could make greed a um, a taboo. Right. If we're all filled up, nourished, resourced with pleasure, we will be much kinder to each other and we will together co-create a wonderful world that has an upward spiral that lifts us all up instead of needing to beat each other down. If we're filled mm. with pleasure or just have a bit of pleasure, our day goes better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. And I love that uh, you've written this book. Um, uh, you know, at first glance, somebody might say, oh, this is just, you know, airy, fairy fluff. But it's not. It really, really isn't. You know, um, I, I think you're taking the idea of gratitude and maybe taking it a step further. Because I've always felt that gratitude is like a, a secret weapon or a, um, a potent, a you know, a potent pill that can kind of help us, um, you know, not be depressed uh, or uh, can put us in a better place. But, you know, you know, your your seven medicines, I think, help us even build on that. So thank you. You're so welcome. And then we pass it on with a smile to this person and a kindness to that person. And then we spread joy and happiness through our neighborhood. And maybe the world. Awesome. There we go. So it's, yeah. So, Julia, what is, um, where can people find your website? Uh, tell us the name of your website. And I'm sure your book is available in all the usual places. My website is theuniverseofdeliciousness.com. And, yes, the book is available everywhere you can buy books. And it's got great. Okay. I'm very pleased with the response it's receiving. And thank you very much for having me on your show. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Julia. You've, um, uh, you've helped me shift, shift even my own perspective. You know, uh, there are things that have happened in, in my life recently that have really made me a lot happier. And I think it's um, because I was actually doing some of the things you recommend, and I didn't even realize it. I just sort of did them unconsciously. Uh, but now that I know that I can, if I focus on them all the more, I'll be that much happier <laughs> great stuff <laughs> thank you julia thank you very much and uh, be well and uh, best of luck with the book and um, um, you know let's stay in touch 
let's stay in touch. Lovely. I, I wish you well, hand on heart. Thank you, Julia. Bye for now. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I really do mean it. You know, at first, you know, if you just uh, kind of um, glance over the title of our interview, you might think, ah, piece of fluff. But uh, so much more there, really so much more there. You know, uh, sometimes the simple is really uh, the potency. You know, it really is the potent way to go. Anyway, um, so at the top of the show, uh, I had uh, mentioned that we're going to cover the second part of four, Why Women Need the Goddess. Uh, But before we do, I want to just tell you about um, our guests coming up on the next two shows. On uh, the 22nd, uh, Mary Gelfand is with me. She's an interfaith minister. She's also a Wiccan high priestess. And uh, she's one of those um, contributors to the wonderful Feminism and Religion blog that I always talk about and uh, recommend. She's going to discuss uh, her two essays, Scars of the Body and Soul. And um, we're also going to talk about... uh, you know, the patriarchy a bit more and women, and uh, that's going to be another deep, deep uh, conversation. Uh, Then on the 29th, uh, it is my honor and pleasure to have returning to the show the famous heretical priest, Father Matthew Fox, and uh, he's going to be discussing creation, spirituality. Uh, Matthew has actually done me the honor of writing the foreword for my new book, Normalizing Abuse, which is available now on Amazon. Um, we've also, uh, you know, we, we've had so many stimulating conversations. You can actually find him on my website um, under the Archived Wisdom section or just look through the archives here uh, on Blog Talk. Um, he is just, um, I don't know, he's a hero uh, of mine. You know, he uh, had no problem speaking truth to power and he was excommunicated for it, uh, but he goes on and he continues to try to make people's lives better and the world a better place. Um, so tune in and learn more about creation spirituality, and um, it's not that right-wing stuff. So you know, don't think that that's what we're talking about. Um, and also, too, uh, I hope um, even if you don't go there to check some of Matthew and I's um, old interviews, I hope you'll go to my uh, Tools for Transformation website at karentate.net. I have some new stuff that just got uh, uploaded there this week, and um, I'm still in the process of building that website, um, and uh, I would love to uh, hear from you and uh, have you tell me what you think about it. Um, Let's see, what else is going on? Uh, We had a wonderful Enlightened Living Fair. Uh, this past Saturday, uh, lots of people came by my booth and came to my talk, and I was really heartened by the women who were interested in learning about uh, the sacred feminine as uh, deity, role model, and ideal. Uh, it sparked some very interesting conversation, and uh, I am sure a lot of those women are actually going to be at our goddess meet and greet tonight uh, in Grants Pass. Then also coming up, if you're in the Northern California or Southern Oregon area, 
the Mount Shasta Goddess Temple uh, is sponsoring their as, uh, annual Cosmogenetrix Symposium. And this year the theme is Lionheart. And you can attend virtually. So even though I said if you're in the area, that doesn't mean you can't attend. Um, you can attend virtually. Uh, so if that's something you're interested in, just uh, go online to Cosmogenetrix and you will find it. Uh, I'm actually giving a talk on the 25th at the uh, symposium. I'm going to uh, zoom in virtually, um, and I'm going to be giving a talk on Sefmet and why Sefmet is such an important goddess for women today. Um, and uh, if you've only heard the you know, the patriarchal story out there on Sekhmet, you don't really know the real Sekhmet. So uh, I think that's an important topic uh, to share with women because she is such uh, a role model uh, and uh, she offers many values that would make women's lives uh, so much better. So, all right, so we're going to get to the uh, why women need the goddess, number two, the number two reason. Um, so um, this this one is about uh, is about women's bodies. So uh, we talked about last show that um, women who grow up with an image of goddess have uh, different self-esteem. They have better self-esteem. They um, have they understand their agency. Uh, they it's easier for them to find their authentic self. Um, as opposed to women who don't see a feminine face of God. I mean, if you grow up just seeing God as male and you are not male, well, then you are not an aspect of God so much, are you? You know, it sort of lends itself to male authority and women deferring to that male authority. But if you grow up with a feminine face of God, you know that you are also a reflection of God, not just men. And that changes the whole dynamic in a woman psyche um, so that was last week so if you missed it go back take a listen uh, this uh, number two reason of four is uh, about affirming women's bodies affirming women's bodies because we know that uh, and we kind of briefly touched on it in the interview today with uh, Julia um, you know, there's the shame attached to the body and pleasure. Um, you know, there's, you know, uh, women used to be relegated to the menstrual hut when they were on their periods because under patriarchy, you know, uh, you know, the dirtiness of women's bodies, the uh, that unclean uh, time of the month, uh, you could stop the crops from growing. You could create a drought, uh, all sorts of just horrible, horrible myths would spring up about the dangers of the woman's body. Uh, when, in fact, you know, the woman is the life giver. If it were not for women and our incredibly sacred bodies, um, humanity would cease to be. But patriarchy doesn't want women to have that power, right? No. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to get to. Uh, I'm going to stop rambling here, and I'm going to read you what Carol's actually words, uh, actual words. So the second important implication of the goddess symbol for women is the affirmation of the female body and the life cycle expressed in it. 
Because of women's unique position as menstruants, birth givers, and those who have traditionally cared for the young and the dying, women's connection to the body, nature, and this world has been obvious. Women were denigrated because they seemed more carnal, fleshy, and earthy than the culture-creating males. The misogynistic antibody tradition in Western thought is symbolized in the myth of Eve, who is traditionally viewed as a sexual temptress, the epitome of women's carnal nature. This tradition reaches its nadir in the Malleus Maleficarum, or the hammer of evil-doing women that they use during the witch-burning times, which states, quote, all witchcraft stems from carnal lust, which in women is insatiable, unquote. The Virgin Mary, the positive female image in Christianity, does not contradict Christian denigration of the female body and its powers. The Virgin Mary is revered because she, in her perpetual virginity, transcends the carnal sexuality attributed to most women. The denigration of the female body is expressed in cultural and religious taboos surrounding menstruation, childbirth, and menopause in women. While menstruation taboos may have originated in a perception of the awesome powers of the female body, they degenerated into a simple perception that there is something wrong with female bodily functions. Menstruating women were forbidden to enter the sanctuary in ancient Hebrew and pre-modern Christian communities. Although only Orthodox Jews still enforce religious taboos against menstruate women, few women in our culture grow up with affirming their menstruation as a connection to sacred power. That's very crucial. I'll repeat it. Few women in our culture grow up affirming their menstruation as a connection to sacred power. Most women learn that menstruation is a curse and growing up believing that the bloody facts of menstruation are best hidden away. Remember the menstrual hut? Feminists challenge this attitude to the female body. Judy Chicago's art piece, called menstruation bathroom broke these menstrual taboos go ahead google it google it menstruation bathrooms uh, in a sterile white bathroom she exhibited boxes of tampex and kotex on an open shelf and the waste paper basket was overflowing with bloody tampons and sanitary napkins many women who viewed this piece felt relieved to have their dirty little secret out in the open the denigration of the female body and its powers is further expressed in Western culture's attitudes towards childbirth. Religious iconography does not celebrate the birth giver, and there is no theology or ritual that enables a woman to celebrate the process of birth as a spiritual experience. Indeed, Jewish and Christian traditions also had blood taboos concerning the woman who had recently given birth. While these religious taboos are rarely enforced today, again, only by Orthodox Jews, they have secular equivalents. Giving birth is treated as a disease requiring hospitalization, and the woman is viewed as a passive object, anesthetized to ensure her acquiescence to the will of the doctor. 
The women's liberation movement has challenged these cultural attitudes, and many feminists have joined with advocates of natural childbirth and home birth and emphasizing the need for women to control and take pride in their bodies, including the birth process. Western cultural also gives little dignity to the postmenopausal or aging woman. It is no secret that our culture is based on a denial of aging and death and that women suffer more severely for this denial than men. Women are placed on a pedestal and considered powerful when they are young and beautiful, but they are to lose this power as they age. As feminists have pointed out, power of the young woman is illusionary since beauty stands or defined by men and since few women are considered themselves beautiful for more than a few years of their lives. Some women, I'm sorry, some men are viewed as wise and authoritative in age. Old women are pitied and shunned. Religious iconography supports this cultural attitude toward aging women. The purity, virginity of Mary and the female saints is often expressed. An iconographic convention of perpetual youth. Moreover, religious mythology associates aging women with evil in the symbol of the wicked old witch. Feminists have challenged cultural myths aging women and have urged women to reject patriarchal beauty standards and to celebrate the distinctive beauty of women of all ages. The symbol of goddess aids the process of naming and reclaiming the female body and its cycles and processes. In the ancient world and among modern women, the goddess symbol represents birth death and rebirth processes of the natural and human world. The female body is viewed as the direct incarnation of waxing and waning life and death cycles in the universe. This is sometimes expressed through the symbolic connection between the 28-day cycles of menstruation and the 28-day cycles of the moon. Moreover, the goddess is celebrated in the triple aspect of youth, maturity, and age, or maiden, mother, and crone. The potentiality of the young girl is is celebrated in the nymph or maiden aspect of goddess. The goddess's mother is sometimes depicted giving birth, and giving birth is viewed as a symbol for all the creative, life-giving powers of the universe. The life-giving powers of goddess and her creative aspect are not limited to physical birth, for the goddess is also seen as the creator or creatrix of all the arts of civilization, including healing, writing, and the giving of just laws. Women in the middle of life who are not physical mothers may give birth to poems, songs, and books, or nurture other women, men, and children. They, too, are incarnations of the goddess and her creative, life-giving aspect. At the end of life, women incarnate the crone aspect of the goddess, the wise old woman, the woman who knows from experience what life is about, the woman who closes, whose closeness to her own death gives her a distance and perspective on the problems of life is celebrated as the third aspect of goddess. Thus women learn to value youth, creativity, and wisdom in themselves and other women. 
The possibilities of reclaiming the female body and its cycles have been expressed in a number of goddess-centered rituals. Hallie Austin Englehart and Barbary Myone created a summer solstice ritual to celebrate menstruation and birth. The women simulated a birth canal and birthed each other into their circle. They raised power by placing their hands on each other's bellies and chanting together. Finally, they marked each other's faces with rich, dark menstrual blood, saying, This is the blood that promises renewal. This is the blood that promises sustenance. This is the blood that promises life. From hidden dirty secret to symbol of the life power of the goddess, women's blood has come full circle. Other women have created rituals that celebrate the crone aspect of the goddess, especially at Halloween, an ancient holiday. On this day, the wisdom of the old woman is celebrated, and it is also recognized that the old must die so that the new can be born. The mood created by the symbol of goddess in triple aspect is one of positive, joyful affirmation of the female body and its cycles and acceptance of aging and death as well as life. The motivations are to overcome menstrual taboos, to return the birth process to the hands of women, and to change cultural attitudes about age and death. Changing cultural attitudes toward the female body would help to overcome the spirit-flesh, mind-body dualisms of Western culture, since, as Ruther has pointed out, the denigration of the female body is at the heart of these dualisms. The goddess is symbol of the revelation of the body and nature thus also undergrids the human potential and ecology movements. The mood is one of affirmation, awe, and respect for the body and nature, and the motivation is respect for the teachings of the body and the value of all living things. So, uh, please, uh, if you want to have a copy of this for yourself, uh, all you have to do is Google Why Women Need the Goddess by Carol Christ, and you can find it. Or keep tuning in with me, and every week we will cover one of the four reasons. And uh, next week we're going to cover number three. Uh, the third important implication of the goddess symbol for women is the positive valuation of will, of women's will in goddess-centered ritual, especially in goddess-centered ritual magic and spellcasting in woman's spirit and feminist circles. Okay, so uh, that takes care of that promise to you. And um, that about does it for me for today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, I hope you'll tell your friends and uh, share the word that Karen Tate is back. And here I am talking about myself in the third person again. I am back. And I like to think about it is my work is where spirituality, personal transformation, and social justice meet. And I'll close the show with one of the two quotes that I love. Here's one from the Egyptian poet Hafez Ibrahim. And it goes like this. When you educate a woman, you create a nation. Hmm. No wonder so many people want to burn books and censure books 
and uh, control what women learn, right? Control what everyone learns because an uneducated public is a public that is easily manipulated. So remember, when you educate a woman, you create a nation. All right. Uh, that's all for me. Uh, we're going to close with uh, Sekhmet, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess who tells women they can say no without guilt and that they can set healthy boundaries for themselves and not have to have a guilty feeling about it. Uh, they know that they are doing it for their own agency. Here we go. Am Sekhmet. Sa Sekhem Sahu. Thank you.